Box and the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, please go to KenjaminMedia.com. I, I, I think I'm ready. I mean, I, am, I, am I ever really ready for the big question? I'm, I'm, as, ready as, look, I, I'm as ready as I can be. You don't look like you're sitting in the ready position. I'm in the ready position. I'm, I'm, I'm in a kind of a contemplative position. Okay, here's the here's the here's the question. Ready? Mm-hmm. Eggs, arguably the best food ever. Expand, elaborate. Why? Why eggs? First of all, I don't get it. Seriously? Why do you think they're the best food ever? Fucking delicious. You can cook them in all kinds of ways. If they're if they're unfertilized, there's no. It's not like you're killing anything. They're full of protein. They're incredibly nutritious. Um, they make baked goods come to life. They're 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 a perfect food. You're talking about chicken eggs, right? How are you on this uh, fine day? Oh man, I'm so tired. Are the, are the pressures of the world weighing down your broad and brawny shoulders? Maybe that the, the pressures of the world are weighing down my broad and brawny shoulders, yeah. Has anybody ever referred to your shoulders as broad and brawny before? You're the first person. You're the first person <laughs> to do that. You're, you're welcome. Uh, how are you? How am I today? I'm good today. I'm okay today. I'm, you know, those words have so little meaning, like the generalized question of how are you today? I, and I've never actually known how to answer that in a meaningful way because it, it doesn't, f- any answer that's short as is demanded of the question uh, feels inadequate and uh, non-encompassing. That's the way I've always felt about that. So, Do you want to give me a long answer? No, because it's kind of pointless to the to doing a podcast. Just like, how are you today? That could be the title of a podcast. I'm just... <laughs> yeah, it could be. I was just asking you how you're doing today. No, and I appreciate, again, in, a, in that perfunctory kind, not that you don't, not interested. I know no, you I are wasn't, interested. I wasn't, it wasn't perfunctory. I was at really asking you how you are doing today. I think the honest answer to that question almost always is I am feeling a multitude of feelings and thinking a multitude of thoughts today, which leads me to feel many emotions and many uh, facets of my identity. Okay. But, but you can't really say that in passing. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Oh, let me give you a 17-minute answer. That doesn't really work in our culture, but that's how I'm actually feeling. Well, you could, you could say, do you want the long answer or the short answer? Well, except, again, saying, do you want the short answer, which almost always is the response, feels like an inadequate answer, so the short answer feels in some way false just at, on its face and by its nature that feels very shakespearean go on mm-hmm. yeah i used to have a neighbor ernst he's dead now uh, i i would not be surprised because he was very old uh <laughs> at the time and okay i'll bite how old i don't i don't know but he was he was very old I mean, like he had survived the war, and uh, this was a few years ago. Uh, the no, big war, fifteen years ago at least. Yeah, he. I mean, you know, st- I spoke with a heavy accent. I think he was German. I'm, I mean, I, I, I'm. I'm going to guess that he was a camp survivor, and he was like the opposite of Viktor Frankl. It's like you, you know, you would say to him, 
you know, good morning, you know, and he'd be like, you don't mean that. Like, I'm, I, <laughs> you know, or I'd say, like, hey, hey, Ernst, how are you? You know, and, you know, he'd say, why do you bother to ask me that? You don't care. It's, 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 it's sort of along the lines of what you're saying, which I, I think is kind of curmudgeonly, but, you know, like, like, you know, but it's like, I, I actually do care and you don't have to give me a long answer. I'm just checking in with you as one human being to another and making a connection because that's how people make connections. What we choose to do is you say the words, how are you? And what comes, what's underneath that, not for everyone. And you don't know. I think, you, I think some people don't give a fuck and they simply say it as a way of passing time. And I think some people do mean it as I did when I asked Ernst, how are you? I think you are correct that some people do care and some people do not care. Yeah. I think that's an accurate statement. I just, felt, I just felt like rebuffed and I was just sort of like, okay, Ernst, fuck you. You know what that reminds me of is I was watching last night because I couldn't sleep, so I spent about six hours watching this new Netflix series where Martin Scorsese interviews Fran Lebowitz. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? I, I know of it. Um, now, Fran Lebowitz is a person I have been vaguely aware of for the last couple decades, just in an amusing way every once in a while. But apparently, and after watching the show, she is a, a I don't know how to say this in the right way, she is a to-the-core kind of New Yorker, um, who really has very little patience for people in general and doesn't really seem to like most people. She probably likes the people she likes, I will say that. Um, she didn't come off as, as a horrible person or anything. I don't mean it that way. I mean, it, she just has a way about her that has very little, and she's 70 now, and she says it's gotten worse as she's gotten older. She just has very little patience for the kind of insanity and absurdity and stupidity that she sees in the world so often, mm. especially in New York. And it just it was very amusing. It reminded me of what you were just saying in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, my memory is that I actually sort of engaged him foolishly, by the way, totally foolishly. Um, <laughs> and this, and this was also, by the way, before that, before I was what I would describe as like trauma informed. And before I, you know, I wasn't in that moment able to say to myself, I wonder what's, what, what happened to him that we've gotten to this place where I can't even say good morning or mm-hmm. check in with him to see how he's doing without getting this kind of a response. You know, when I tried to say, actually, I do care how you're doing and I'm checking in with you, you know, I mean, he just basically was trying, he basically tried to author my story by saying, no, no, I don't. And, um, and then I never said good morning to him again. I never, I just never said, how are you? And I never said good morning to him again. And you, you have a sense that that's what killed him. Yeah, no, I don't have a sense that that is what killed him. I suspect, You're shunning him. Yeah, no, I, I suspect he, he died of uh, of spleen or resentment. Anger. Or anger, yeah. <laughs> or, or cancer, you know, probably. Very, really like yeah. high, high, high odds he died of cancer. My stepmother ostensibly died of lung cancer, but I would say she died of being a, just an asshole. Mm-hmm. But anyway, who knows? You know, who really knows? You know, what I say is like, but if you, but if you live to a certain age, beyond a certain age, like past, say, 90, mm-hmm. like whatever kills you is old age. You, 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 there's not really any point anymore in saying cancer killed him. I'm like, no, old yeah. age killed him. Some variant of old age, some form of old age. Exactly. Fran Leibowitz said, something funny in that regard she said something about i can't remember uh, martin scorsese who, by the way this is a funny series because 
in theory, Martin Scorsese is interviewing her, but basically it's just her talking and him laughing quite a bit. He's, mm-hmm. he's got a very amusing laugh for a, for a famous film director. Um, but anyway, um, she said something about... Most famous film directors do not have amusing laughs. No, that's it's, that's true. Yeah, they yeah. don't. That's, that's a known fact. Like, yeah. they don't like 7-Up either. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. Is Billy Crystal still alive or is Billy uh, Crystal dead? No, I'm sure Billy Crystal is still alive. Let's say he's dead just for the sake of the conversation. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. When was the last time Billy Crystal... Do you think anybody under 25 knows who Billy Crystal actually is? No. Has he been in a movie in the last 20 years? What has he been doing? So I know that today you you do you want to do a well uh, do we do welcome to the podcast do we do that we have we don't do that you you you, no. you you opted against that you don't want to say like just hi start talking I'm Kenny and then and this is Josh I'm Joshua we're not doing that all right you want to talk about what what happens now let me ask you this question yeah what what do you think happens now let me start by saying this <laughs> I, I would be a terrible terrible politician you definitely would. There's no question. There's no about that. question about it. Everything in your history supports that statement. Absolutely. Like when you were like like as an example, when you were 23 and a very famous young potential actor in the world, and you walked into studio executives' offices without wearing shoes in some kind of defiance of cultural norms, just like fuck them, I don't have to wear shoes and be respectful. Am that I wrong? Was, that was not a studio executive's office. That was. That was the uh, no. That was a huge. Uh, that was a. Where was that? That I I I think that might have been in the uh, big meeting hall of ABC. When no uh, CBS. I think that might have been in the big, like that big, kind of theater like space at CBS when we were holding auditions. I think I might have done that there. I don't think I walked into a studio executive's office not wearing shoes. Yeah. I think it was more than once and I think you block it out. Well that might also be true. <laughs> overalls, I remember the overalls with one side of the overall not I, I did button. wear I did wear overalls uh pretty regularly. I might even I, have worn overall I I, I just that's yeah. I would say my comportment at that point definitely was sort of a, a, a defiant, <laughs> a defiant gesture. Yeah, or because yeah. if not, we'd be sitting in a mansion somewhere, and you'd be the Tom Hanks of today instead of Tom Hanks. That's correct. Yeah, probably true. Or they would be called you the Jewish Tom Hanks, as they ever want to do. Right. Right. <laughs> or the slightly less Jewish Jerry Seinfeld. I'm not sure. It could have gone either way. <sighs> Well, but here we are. So anyway, I would be a t- I would just be a terrible, terrible politician. Correct. I don't really know. That you, I, don't, I think you would be a better politician, but I don't. I don't know that you'd be. You certainly be a infinitely better politician than I would. I think you could do it. I think you could do it. But I think I think it, that's the correct assessment. I, I could, could do it, but I think eventually it would it would wear on you. It would be too too hard on you. Yeah. Oh God. I, I worked in politics for six months when I was 23 and I was disgusted by what went on behind the scenes there. So there's that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what happened? But so, let, me, yeah. let me say this. I also once cried in your agent's office when I had to fire her because I was so, I felt so bad and like so human in that moment. And I think I was the only one who felt any sense of humanity in that whole couple of years that in the show business world, I yeah. literally think that's true. Yeah, that might be true. 
So, so what happens now? You know, oh, and here's the thing that here's why here's why I said I'd be a terrible politician because this is what got me thinking about it. I don't know that I could. I I don't know that I could do what, for example, Joe Biden is being is going to be required to do. And this is why, of course, Donald Trump is such a one of the reasons he was such a horrible person and a horrible politician. But my anger and and need to see some kind of um justice, I could very easily see contaminating or polluting my ability to think clearly about certain things. Correct. You know, I think to be the certainly the president of the United States, right? But to be a really great, great politician, I think you, 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 you have to be able to think more clearly about that stuff without letting you know, uh, emotions uh, uh, get in the way. So, so when I was thinking about well, what happens now, you know, I, well, you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, and I sort of jokingly said, like, because mm, <laughs> that's kind of how, kind of what I th- I feel. But on the other hand, you know, my next instinct is to say, like, well, everyone who has the power to do so has to sue Donald Trump and make him pay in in every way possible. Donald Trump has to end up behind bars, which led me to think I would be a terrible, terrible politician. <laughs> well, I will say this. I don't think Donald Trump necessarily has to end up behind bars, but I do think to move forward, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be light, needs to shine on all of the things that were done behind the scenes that are un-American and potentially illegal. And there needs to be justice applied because without justice, just literally there can be no peace. There can be no moving forward. All these calls now, these false calls, I would argue, to create unity from the side that committed all these crimes to to just forget about it and move on. Everybody knows this in, in every aspect of our life. There is no moving on. This is true in relationship. This is true in everything that's meaningful. There is no moving forward without an, an accounting, an understanding, and, and, in, and in these cases, a, a sense of justice for the wrongs that have been committed or else they're just nothing's going to change. Mm. We're just going to be right back where we started 4 years from now if we don't hold people accountable for what they've done and what they've done is significant and and dangerous. Say say more what you mean when you say accountability. Say what you mean. What does accountability mean to you? Okay, I'll tell you. With respect to this aspect, with respect to all of the elected officials, the people in which we placed our trust that told the big lie, in an attempt to subvert democracy that told the lie that this election was stolen, there was massive fraud, we must revolt. The Ted Cruz's, the Josh Hawley's, all of those people who voted against certifying the election for those reasons because they were lying. They were just lying because there is no evidence, there is no proof. So they simply made it up or decided, and, and not or, and decided it was in their opportunistic personal uh, story toward power, personal move toward accumulating power, staying in power, maintaining power, to keep spouting it to incite that mob, to incite those 74 million people to believe something that's simply not true. That is, is needs to be held, they need to be held accountable. I think that everybody uh, who voted against the congressmen and senators, uh, congresspeople and senators who voted against certifying the election need to be either censured in the House or the Senate or kicked out, removed 
for sedition, for for violating their oath of office. And it's in the Constitution. It's in the Constitution. There's a clause. I can't remember where it is now. You can look it up. It's in the Constitution that says if you if you support insurrection against the country, America, then you are prohibited from holding high office ever again. And I think we need to enforce that provision of the Constitution because it's there for a reason. And we've now hit a time, first time ever in our lifetime, I would argue, where this is now true. And without that level of accountability uh, and without the people who, who supported that insurrection and fought in that insurrection, without them seeing justice being, be, people being held to a, to, a, to a standard of decency and justice, uh, I think that uh, nothing is going to stop them from doing it again. So by accountable or accountability, what you mean is there has to be a reckoning. Consequences. There have yes. to be consequences and a reckoning. Okay. There are always there always have to be consequences for action. And there always are generally consequences for action. They can be good or bad. Consequences don't always have to be negative. Sometimes there are very positive consequences for for actions of kindness and compassion, compassionate work, et cetera, et cetera. But for what happened in this country, there needs to be um, we need to hold them accountable and not just legally, but I mean, anybody that believes that this was simply about the election, that the, that the core issue behind the majority of these people, and I'm going to say this, the majority of these people who, who support this insurrection, uh, th- this insurrection was fueled by racism and white, su- white supremacy. I firmly believe that after looking at all the evidence and all the statements made and, 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 and listening to people talk about it there, this is, this it's, it's interesting because people, we're recording this episode on Martin Luther King Day, and a lot of people who were in support of this insurrection have been quoting Martin Luther King today on issues of unity and issues of blah, 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 except Martin Luther King is being taken out of context because Martin Luther King also feared white supremacy. Martin Luther King spoke about white supremacy, and Martin Luther King also, by the way, interestingly for a lot of white people who don't know this, Martin Luther King spoke about the fear of radicals, but he also spoke rather eloquently about the fear of white moderates. Wait, about the Martin fear Luther King of, spoke eloquently about this? Indeed he did. He was quite an elegant speaker. I don't know if you know that. You may not have ever seen wow. any of his well, That's a first. As Bobby Kennedy once said to me, oh, wait a minute. No, that's not me. Never mind. I was thinking of somebody else. But uh, Martin Luther King also spoke about the danger of the white moderate, the white person who said like, said like, okay, let's move on. This is, you know, it's not that big a deal. Now, again, white people who didn't want to hold other white people accountable for their actions, their terror, their danger. This is a part of Martin Luther King that gets, I read an article about this, talked about he's being whitewashed in some ways because he was truly a great leader, but he also, he wasn't this kind of like milk toasty, middle of the road pacifist that a lot of people want to remember him as. He was a, he was a, he was a very powerful voice who spoke against white supremacy and against, again, the white moderate, who we all know it's a very dangerous place to be. And he also said, he also said something interesting, which I used to talk about when we were talking about apartheid back years ago when I was in politics and talking about all the people who would say, all the white people in America would always say, well, you know, you have to give them time to adjust. You have to give the white people who've been in power there. It's like, and Martin Luther King gave this great speech, and I, I'll paraphrase it, but I, I'm not going to do it justice, where he talked about, like, unless you've been in prison and been beaten and been subjugated to the, to the, the blunt force of white supremacists uh, who tell you to wait, you have no idea. Like, there's no waiting when you're at the, you know, the, you're, face is under the boot or a club. We don't wait. The justice has to come. It has to come quickly and swiftly or it's not justice. So that's my feeling. 
So that's what happens now. Justice. That's I think what happens now in that context. Now, in a broader context for justice, for in terms of this specific insurrection and the problem, we have a much bigger problem in this country. And to get back to it, is we have 70 more four million people. Just today I heard a poll that um six only 61% of Americans believe that Joe Biden is the legitimate president. Okay, that's total number of Americans. 61. I, but only wait, let me finish. I read 19% of of Republicans believe that he is that which was startling to me. Well, the poll I saw today was that 24% of Republicans believe he's the legitimate president, which means whatever number you want to apply, it's three quarters of Republicans believe this election was stolen. And that can be traced to directly to Donald Trump's lie and that being then supported by all those elected officials who, who just they're undermining of our democracy and of our institutions and of the things that make us unique as a country in the world and have always done so is probably is dangerous and if we don't again hold the people accountable and we don't tell the truth and we don't uh, require the people who lied to then come back and tell the truth as part of holding them accountable um, nothing's going to change it's going to keep getting worse and that scares me more than anything else because you and I have both watched these uh, interviews of people at Trump rallies, these Americans at Trump rallies who just live in a bizarro world of bullshit and spout it off without any, you know, facts or without. And anytime they're pressed on where they got that information or show us some some facts about that, they can't because there aren't any. But they firmly believe it, and they're hardened and they're they're angry, right? Because they've been fed this load of crap for decades one could argue but in this past period it's been accelerated and so they have no they have no real connection to to the truth to the, the half of the better than 50 percent of americans who who believe in you know truth and values yeah so uh, you know i'm thoughtful about this this idea of accountability that you're talking about because part of when i when i think about accountability and I, th I think about mm -hmm. accountability differently than I used to mm. I think about the the word accountability differently than I used to I, I think about so many things differently yeah than I used to um, you know I, I think about the accounting of events and is there a shared understanding of what happened and I don't think you know I think without a shared understanding of events, mm -hmm. what you are asking for becomes very, very hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't think that there is ever going to be a shared understanding of, of the events of the past year. So that being true, and I believe you, I agree with you, I should say, what do we do? 30 seconds, go. <laughs> Solve the problems of America. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, I need V8 juice. I think you need beet juice? V8 juice. When's the last time you had a V8? Have you ever had V8 juice? Uh, Yeah, I have. I remember actually liking it. I think it was a little bit salty, but I, but I liked it. Yeah. V8 juice tastes like tomato juice. Right. Just a little spicier vegetable in there. Yeah. It's not spicier unless you get the spicy version. It's just uh -huh. tomato juice with other vegetable juices. And yeah, I had some yeah, too. I really, yeah, I like it. I like it was it. quite tasty. You know, quite you know what VH is really good with? A little vodka. Yeah, that's a different thing. <laughs> that's really, really makes V8 good. It really gets it up on its feet. You know, here's the 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 the, the, the quandary is that 
you know, for you to, 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 for what you are suggesting to happen, the Democrats have to basically just say, we're not negotiating. We, we have power. We're going to just make this happen. Uh, and, and then that perpetuates, you know, the polarization of the, of the parties, you know, and so I, I, I don't know where that leaves us. I mean, either. You make people, you punish people, you make, you, you create consequences. And the only way that's going to happen is if, you know, and this is almost oxymoronic, right? Like Republicans of conscience, that's, that's practically a fucking oxymoron. And I'm, I'm so sad to say that either Republicans of conscience have to step forward, which, you know, seems highly unlikely. Although I was sort of encouraged in the last uh, week with those 10 Republicans, um, uh, breaking ranks and supporting impeachment, or uh, Democrats just have to essentially say, we have 50 seats plus the vice president, we win, Ye- the- these are the consequences. And then we just continue the cycle. you know. But it's always the Democrats who are trying to reach across the aisle legitimately right. legitimately trying to reach across the aisle and saying come on this is this is you know better we're better than this this is who we are and by the way this is who we are or this yeah. is not who we are i want to say something right. about that because yeah. i have heard several people recently say uh publicly this is not who we are and you yeah. know what this is exactly yeah. who we are i agree every with you. time i hear somebody say that i just think this is exactly who we are and it's it's really sad and it's too fucking bad but stop saying this isn't who we are it's okay to say we can be better than this and we aspire to be better than this but this is this is who we are right now it's certainly it's certainly who a lot of us are i think that's generational too a lot of the older especially the older white politicians tend to tend to remember nostalgically you know, a different time. Like they remember part of that time. They remember the part of it where there was more bipartisanship, that people worked together, that people were friends across the aisle. Of course, there were almost no black people on that aisle and there were almost no Latino people in that aisle and there were no gay people in that aisle. So I'm just saying like, they, re- as I say, they remember a part of that experience lovingly, nostalgically, fondly, mm-hmm. right? This is part of the reckoning. This is part of what accountability requires, I think at this time, is we have to, be accountable to our history. You sent me a piece the other day, and I've sent you pieces previously about this same idea that some of the textbooks coming out now that completely, you know, try to whitewash the history, to try and narrow the history to like this exceptional experience and negate the experience of slavery as you know an original part, a foundational part of our history, uh, and and many other very negative pieces of our history don't get talked about honestly, and. And that reckoning needs to happen also, I would argue, an accountability with children and how we teach what America is. There is an aspirational part to the foundation of America, to the founding of America that's beautiful, right? There was an aspirational idea, but it wasn't realized, obviously, when people of color, black people specifically, were not considered actual people, right? And to not talk about that and how that has continued in all the different ways from slavery to Jim Crow to res- uh, resurrection, reconstruction. <laughs> and there could be some resurrection there too. <laughs> Don't discount the possibility of it, resurrection, uh, but when I meant reconstruction and the Jim Crow that followed and all of that stuff. I mean, that's part of the problem. It's always been part of the problem. And that's where that that's not who we are comes from, right? It's just a complete denial 
of the reality of America, not wanting to tell the truth because it doesn't reflect particularly well on the people who make those statements. Yeah. We are yeah. a great country, or another better way to say it is we, we have always aspired to be a great country, and we still are aspiring, mm -hmm. potentially. But a lot of people seem to have want to deny we were ever not the greatest country and the only meaningful country that ever existed, and that's a problem for moving forward that's a problem for what happens next yeah because we can't continue that idea yeah. that we're not flawed we're not human we're not a human country to put it in those terms yeah the germans kind of did that did that right after the war i mean they really which war you're talking about world war ii yeah i mean to okay. the best of my knowledge i mean as far as as far as i can see they've really made a point of saying like without fail and like nonstop like hey this thing we did that was really bad we acknowledge yeah. we did it and it was like every german is taught about this and knows about it not not True. that there aren't some people who deny it obviously right but there's there's not a lot of whitewashing of the holocaust <laughs> oddly enough in germany where you think like they ought to you know probably some people wish they were a little bit of whitewashing but uh, you know, well, there, there is there is actually a significant right wing whitewashing of the Holocaust in Germany. But in terms of the the government and what they've yes. the mainstream German population, yes, that's what I'm saying. You're saying uh, yeah, textbooks, uh, all, you know, it's like, yeah, they're they're they don't they don't hide from it. Yeah, and in my lifetime, by the way, I don't think they will ever get out from from that shadow. Well, I will say this though about the Holocaust. I mean, the, the the one one of the reasons that that's still present is because there are still people alive from it. It's still within our memory. It's within our time frame. The problem with Americans is slavery and you know the Civil War. I mean, we're talking about century and centuries to the other, and you know Americans have very short memories. And we don't we don't value history as a culture. We don't value understanding the past as a as a means to under to moving forward to the future. We don't value it. You know, we're such a now culture. Yeah, I think that's a problem too. Yeah, yeah, very short memories. By and large, that is that's absolutely true. Especially since the Supreme Court invalidated a part of the Voting Rights Act that required oversight, because John Roberts. And all his friends who live in a world where the idea that white people would keep black people from voting just seems so 1960s to them. <laughs> they don't go into the real world. Yeah, you know, that's happened recently. Yeah. Fuckers. So so how do you think there can be accountability? I'm not sure in our in our current climate how that's gonna work. I mean, my hope is that now with this new attorney general, Merrick Garland, who, you know, apparently is a is just a, the most decent, honest judge has ever lived from everyone who's worked for him has said, I'm hoping that he goes after what he thinks needs to go he needs to go after and that his vision is that what I said, you know, that we need truth and accountability to move forward, and we need to uh, hold people accountable through the law, through whatever means we have, which is the law in this country, or else the law means nothing. I mean, Donald Trump's flouting of the law and all of his people's flouting of laws, breaking all the laws all the time, the Hatch Act, which, you know, all of his elected officials broke, which is a law that says you can't politic and certain. I mean, there's lots of laws that they just ignore. 
because they think they're above the law. And as long as that continues, there is no accountability. There's no moving forward. There's just further disintegration. So will some Republicans stand up and say we have to hold people accountable? We have to, again, in theory, become a nation of laws and laws that have teeth and that 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 matter? Or will they not? I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know what happens next. I have a hope that things might shift, but I don't have a lot of confidence they're going to because we've seen nothing in the last four years, and I would argue in the last couple of decades, that suggests that this movement of the Republican Party into being a non-governing party, just a party of power, I've seen no cracks in that. You know, Mitt Romney voted for impeachment. He was one senator who said, this is wrong. You don't do this. If this has been the been the 80s or the 70s, there would have been a lot more, I think, Republicans who looked at what happened and said, no, no, this isn't okay. It doesn't matter. He's our guy. It's not okay. You know, but that no longer exists. It's tribal now, and, and I don't know what happens next. I did fleetingly wonder the other day, because I, I don't think this is, it's hard for me to imagine this being a reality, but I did fleetingly wonder if this could lead to a third party a third yeah. viable party in this country yeah, because I, I can't so. imagine, I, I can't imagine a bunch of Republicans saying, look, there are too many, like we, we basically are, are be becoming two different parties and, and we keep, you know, wh which, which party is the, the real Republican party. Did that, does that fleetingly occur to you or am I uh, out in outer space here? Well, no, no, it's obviously occurred to me, but I don't see it happening. We're, we're a two party system. Everything is geared to the two to create a third party that's viable would take a tremendous amount of money, time, will, determination, and and I don't know that there is that energy toward that. I know that there are some Republicans, and there are a much smaller number than there used to be who you could call moderate Republicans who want the party to go back to some kind of semblance of values that they used to stand for, um, beyond power and judges and no taxes. Um, but... I don't know how many of them still exist. And in the Senate, I don't see that many. What people used to call moderates, I don't see that many. You could maybe argue that sometimes, sometimes Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins you are sometimes moderates. But, they, man, they voted with Trump all the time. And, uh, and Mitt Romney was the only senator who voted for impeachment. And you could argue that was a moral choice on his part. And Mitt Romney used to be... A fairly moderate Republican. He was the governor of Massachusetts, for God's sake. He created the precursor to Obamacare. I mean, that was his idea in Massachusetts, uh, you know, but he's gone, he's gone way right to survive as well. So I, I don't know that there's a great appetite for moderation anymore. Most of the people who vote, I mean, if you look at the, again, that polling suggests that three out of every four Republican in the country believe this election was fraudulent because they believe Donald Trump. And that's, Where's the moderation in that? Hmm. If only 25% of Republicans have some semblance of that they're, they're, the other 85 million people in the country deserve to be listened to, I don't see a great reckoning within the Republican Party. I just don't see it. I wish I saw it. I wish there was some Republicans who would stand up and say, we have to get back to legislating. We have to get back to compromising. We have to get back to remembering that we're only half of the country and maybe even a little less and the other half has different ideas about things. So we have to find some way to compromise with them because that's what a country is. But I haven't heard any Republicans, not one, really speak like that. Every once in a while, Ben Sass of Nebraska says something that sounds reasonable and principled, but not consistently, not regularly. 
and not legislatively. It's mostly about the bigger stuff, which is great. He can recognize that what Trump did was horrific. Good for him. But you don't hear them talk about legislating and being decent to their comrades and and going back to what, like the the you know the the notion of of these are our neighbors even if they see it differently let's find some common ground let's find some way to meet somewhere where we're both getting a little bit of what we believe in but nobody's perfect and nobody's going to get everything they want in a, in a country where there's two very foundationally different ideas about what's helpful but there's no conversation about that in the public discourse anymore none zero you, you think nebraskans like have a, ch- a chip on their shoulder. Do you feel like, think they feel like sort of like forgotten stepchildren? I have no fucking idea. I know that uh, Warren Buffett lives in Nebraska, doesn't he? I I don't know. I don't. I don't. Omaha know isn't Omaha in Nebraska still? Isn't he the 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 sage from Omaha or whatever the fuck they call him? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's like twelve people in Nebraska. I am a little sick of the the way the country was created to, to so four hundred thousand people in Wyoming have the same voting power in the Senate as. 40 million people in California. I, I think that's insane. Um, I do think it's insane. What do you, what do you, what do you say to the Republicans who say, yes, but if we do away with the electoral college, then you've got these highly populous states that are blue, like California, like where they're just, everything's constantly going to be voting blue because of the states like on California and all the states on the, the coasts that, that vote blue so often um, that then there's, then that's not fair. What do you say about that? Well, I, 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 I get that argument in terms of the Senate, right? So every state, even the small state has two senators, even a state with 400,000 versus a state with a hundred times more people. But in terms of the presidency, which is a national election, it's a national vote. So if we're a country, if we're a country of, of 50 states and every person matters, then the vote needs to matter. I see that. I get the, uh, that argument when you're talking about a Senate. Like, yeah, so if we change the rules on the elector, electing of senators to better reflect the population, then California would get like, you know, 50 senators versus two for, we have that. It's called the House of Representatives. That's what the people's house. So we do have that disproportionate representation in the House. And that's the way the founders wanted it. And I get that. But from a national point of view, the Electoral College made sense when there were 13 colonies, maybe, but it doesn't make a lot of sense now with uh, 300, 400 million people in 50 states. Every vote needs to count. So 30, 40 million people live in California, believe in something. We're a majority. We live in a majority rule world, not to, not to tyrannize the minority, but to respect the majority. If If 51% of the people vote for somebody, that person should be elected it seems to me and the quirkiness of the electoral college shouldn't change that hmm. that i mean that's what's happened you know democrats have won six of the last seven seven presidential uh, votes but have lost two of those elections yeah it seems like something's wrong there yeah I, I i agree with you i also just am acknowledging that i'm aware that it's really easy for me to take up that position as a Democrat and someone who lives in California. Yeah. Fuck you, you California liberal <laughs> yeah. fucking pinko commie democratic yeah. fuckwad. Yeah. Fuck you. And the horse you rode in on. Yeah. Fucking liberal progressive horse. Yeah. That's me. So here's my big, here's, I got, here's my big question for you. What job would you be, would you be really bad at? Park ranger. 
park ranger. Yeah, I can see yeah, that. I'm not a huge fan of the outdoors, a yeah. wilderness, and I'm not a huge fan of animals. So both <laughs> those bears, yeah. bears scare the shit out of me, and being in the wild scares the shit out of me. Yeah. So I, I think how quickly that answer came to me, and I never thought about that before, but yeah. it came right to me. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about bears lately. Why? I don't know. I had this dream that I somehow came into hundreds of millions of dollars of money. And I was thinking about where I was going to buy a house and where I'd buy you a house and Mariana a house. And I, and the first thought I had was Aspen. But then I looked it up and they have a shitload of bears in Aspen. Apparently, they have regular bears in downtown Aspen. Really? They go through the city in the town. Wow. Yeah, that's a regular thing in Aspen. Like, fuck it, I'm not going to Aspen. Why couldn't you? Um, why couldn't you get on city council and use your wealth to create like a bear patrol? Uh, a fucking bear patrol? Who gives a shit if if I'm in my sitting up by my pool and all of a sudden bears come up because they're no longer afraid of humans? I, I, where's the fucking bear? You can't have enough people on a patrol to protect everybody's home. That's not realistic. I just don't want to live where there are bears. So that pushes you toward the ocean because the bears don't come to the ocean. So then I was thinking like Laguna. Incredibly white and Gentile. That's where you want yes, to live? You, you buy a compound and you stay in it. You're not venturing out to, to, to the town. Nice. This is, a COVID, this is the COVID era. Uh-huh. You need to buy a compound that you can live within the bubble yeah. of your compound All right. so you don't die. Okay. My, you know, you know, my favorite city is San Francisco, which is, you know, the most expensive city in America right now. Yeah. Well, but there are uh, no bears in San Francisco. Not that I'm aware of, but I'm not a huge fan of bears. I don't want a Colorado full of bears. There's some islands up north of Seattle that are very pretty. Yeah, Orcas. That's a great island. That's an island. Sure. Yeah. The other ones. Yeah. Jiminy Cricket Island. All of the all of the good Disney islands up there are really nice. I like the Mulan Island is good. Mm-hmm. And Anna Island is very pretty. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Mm-hmm. What's what's been making you insane this week? I'll tell you exactly what. Uh, not enough hot water. Let me ask you a question, and yeah. I don't understand this. I don't understand this question at all. How can you have a house? A pretty. I'm renting this place right now. I'm living in, in Airbnb, and it's a nice. It's a lovely old house. It's old, not that old. It's pretty. It's got bedrooms and bathrooms and and a kitchen and all the things a house has. Couches. Etc. And it has this beautiful old clawfoot kind of tub. You know, I, you know, I love to bathe. I'm not a huge shower guy. I like to lay soak in hot water for hours. And so, how can you have a house with a tub that you can't even fill the whole tub before the hot water runs out? I don't understand, like how this is even humanly possible. How did how did somebody create a system where you have a tub that? By the time you fill it up, the water is no longer hot. I, how is that possible? Yeah, that really seems inconceivable, doesn't it? It's inconceivable. Yeah. So I, I just don't that's get it. That's been making you insane this week. Crazy, because I've been bathing twice a day, and it's in you know by the end it's lukewarm bathing, and it's better than no bathing, but it's not as good as hot bathing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, yes. What's making you crazy? Not enough refrigerator space. Like a, a cluttered, like a, a, a like a, a crammed, uh, jumbled refrigerator where every time you need to get something out, you have to kind of rearrange the entire refrigerator. But you know what we did? I fixed it and I got a small, like, you know, insert. No, no. I, I bought a small refrigerator. Like one of those little... You like, bought a supplemental refrigerator. I bought, yeah, I bought a supplemental small... Uh, 
like four cubic foot refrigerator. Yeah. And where where did you put that in the like the on laundry the back, room? Yeah, on the back porch. Yeah. Outside? No, no, sorry. The like the laundry area. I'm calling the back porch. The the okay. The inside. Area. Yeah, inside. Yes, inside. Okay, because here's the thing I read about this week about bears. If you leave food outside, they smell it and they will come for it. That's correct. Their their sense of smell is hundreds of times greater than our own. Uh, I once actually got bared. Yeah, I, that would have terrified the shit out of you. I got bared. I was chased out of a camp by by a bear one time. But that changed the whole. My whole attitude is just lifted. I'm walking on a cloud right now because the whole, the whole refrigerator thing is just it's changed. I'm going to say this, and it's the last thing I'm going to say. Yeah, it's the little things. It is the little things. You're not kidding. I, I wasn't kidding. That's why. That's why I said it with dramatic, dramatic pause yeah. and purpose. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. This is locks in the bagel. I am Joshua Beckett. I'm Kenny no, Benjamin. Reverse that. I am Kenny Benjamin. And I am also Kenny Benjamin. That's right. It's, you know, I wanted to name my son. I've had a son, Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin. Because then you're, there's no no ambiguity. You just always <laughs> no, know your name. No, no ambiguity. <laughs> what did I just ben, say? No, ambigu- no ambiguity? <laughs> there definitely is no ambiguity. Irregardless of that. <laughs> still a word it's now a word i yes, can use it i know uh, although it still feels weird to say it but all um right. all hell's breaking all hell is breaking loose as we as we say mazel tov locks in the bagel is a production of kenjamin media a curated series of conversations about things that matter for more information about our podcast please go to kenjaminmedia.com